Speaking for the help of the Lord, I desire this evening to continue a series with questions asked in Scripture. And you may have noticed that throughout the chapter that we read, Matthew 16, there are many questions that are asked and asked of our Lord. But it's just one that I desire to bring before you this evening, and that is the question found in verse 15. Our Lord Jesus asked this of his disciples, but whom say ye that I am? It is this question, Matthew 16, verse 15, that we are to consider this evening. We would remember firstly that it is a question that is asked by Jesus of Nazareth, asked by him of whom the scribes, the Pharisees, the Jews were saying that this is Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son. It is asked by him that, according to men, that he was a man that made himself God. They could see his humanity. They could see that there was nothing different to the outward eye to anyone else. He was a real man. And they could see and they could testify of that. And we need to remember that when we have a question asked of him in this way. Because it's coming on the back of what he is actually viewed as. And as a real man. Also, our question is... A follow-up from a previous question in verse 13. We're told there that this is when our Lord came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, and this is the first question he asked of them, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, Am. So he wants to know from them what others are saying of him. And they are able to answer. And they say, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So what they have been hearing that men have been saying is that Jesus of Nazareth effectually is one that has risen from the dead. One of the previous prophets, even including John Baptist, who was now at this time dead or had died, that he was appearing as one risen from the dead. All of the answers that they give, they're giving this, this idea 
all of the miracles the Lord did, all of the things that he did, the general idea and what people were saying was that for him to do these things, that it must be one that had risen from the dead, a good man, a prophet that had risen from the dead. So having asked that question and received that answer, our Lord then brings the question right home to his disciples, to his followers. And he then says to them, But whom say ye that I am? The very question supposes that there will be a difference in the answer. The Lord doesn't say, is that what you believe then? Or do you agree with what they are saying? But he uses the but, implying that there will be a contrast, there will be a difference. And here, friends, there always will be a difference between what men, in the general word, the world speak of our Lord, and what God's people speak of him. I mean, remember, they were all seeing the same man, the same Jesus of Nazareth. They were all seeing the same miracles, the same things, but they viewed him in a different way. And very important to have that contrast, especially in how we view our Lord Jesus Christ, how we view Jesus of Nazareth, even today, even amongst those that would profess to be followers of Jesus, there are those that have a very different confession than what Peter makes of our Lord. And the scriptures bear witness that the Christ should be. Usually, we find a confession comes first of a belief and then that is followed up by a following and a discipleship. In the Gospel according to John chapter 8, we read that as the Lord was speaking and speaking of himself and his coming sufferings, that there were those that believed on him. And in verse 31 we read, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So in their case, firstly there was a believing, believing on what he was saying of his coming crucifixion and of his ministry and of that who he was, the Son of Man, when ye shall have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And they believed then, they believed that Jesus was the Son of God, and that he was the Messiah. But the Lord then said to them that believe that there was to be a continuing in his word, 
And then they would be true disciples. Then they would know the truth. So the belief came first, and then there was the following. In this case, the Lord is asking his disciples. They are already following. They are already hearing his word. They are already continuing with him. And he asks them. And though the usual case, of course, is that the Lord creates the, the believer and then there is a following, like the Thessalonians, who the word came not in word only but in demonstration of, of power and they became followers, the apostle said, of the Lord and of us and that was the effect. It was in Acts 2 as well. They believed and then they continued in the apostles' doctrine and in breaking of bread. But it's always good for those that are professed followers of the Lord to really have a confession concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. It's vital that they do and we'll look at that more in a moment. There's also not just with the word confessing what we have here before us and what Peter answers, but there must be more than that. Our Lord said to some that believed and that called him Lord, he says, he called me Lord and Master, and ye say, well, for so I am, but ye do not the things that I say. They were not obedient. And this is the great thing that so many will, let's say, oh, we will believe in the Lord, we'll become a Christian. But then when they find what that means of taking up the cross, leaving sins, changing their lifestyle, observing the Lord's day, gathering with the people of God, then they don't want to do that. They want to have the world and they want to have Christ too. They want heaven but this world as well. And if that means leaving and taking up the cross, then no thank you, we will not walk in this way. Others are offended when they are told that actually the Lord came that he might suffer for sin, and sin is a very hateful and an evil thing, and that is why the Lord came, that rather than just pass it by, that he should pay the debt, and suffer and plead and die to put away sin. But as the hymn writer says, nor are men willing to have the truth told, the sight is too killing for pride to behold. And so some are very offended, at the very thought that their good works are not good works and that they are sinners and that they are on the high road to hell and that unless they do repent and change their life and change their ways, they shall go to eternal fire. The men are offended at that and they don't then want the faith of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. So there are many things that are joined with a profession it is vital for every true Christian that he does have a confession, that it is a true 
confession, it is a true knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and that flowing from that will be obedience to the Lord and a walking in his ways, not by constraint, but lovingly and freely. The Lord says, This people have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. And so, though our text is not emphasising on the following, the walking, the obedience, it is centering in our profession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet bound up with that, we must say wherever it, there is a true profession, there will be a walk and a life consistent with that. Otherwise, it is just empty words and not really revealed from heaven or really known in the heart what we are saying. So with those thoughts, I want to confine uh, our uh, word tonight with uh, three points. Firstly, Peter's true answer. Peter answers our Lord and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then secondly, I want to consider the importance of a verbal testimony. Of a verbal testimony. And then thirdly, from whence the true answer comes. Our Lord says to Peter, after he had given that answer, in verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So firstly, I want to look at the answer that Peter gave. We don't read that Peter hesitated at all in, in answering here. He answered and was very clear, very concise. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. <clears throat> so what was Peter actually saying? Firstly, he says, Thou art the Christ. And in saying that, he was identifying Jesus of Nazareth with all of the promises of the coming Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. He was identifying him with the first promise given in the Garden of Eden that the seed of the woman should bruise the serpent's head. He was testifying that Jesus of Nazareth was that promised seed that was to come. He was testifying that the Lord Jesus Christ was, as John Baptist had said, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Going right back to Abel, or going back to our Lord that slew the animals and shed blood and clothed Adam and Eve with the skins. But going back to the first institution of the sacrifices. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission 
and how vital it was that that sacrifice be not as Cain's, a bloodless sacrifice, but one that there was shedding of blood. He was identifying Jesus of Nazareth with those Old Testament times of the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, the lamb slain instead of the firstborn in Egypt, and thereby the children of Israel brought out of Egypt and saved from that slaying of the firstborn that the Egyptians suffered. He was testifying that this was whom Moses spake, a prophet, shall the Lord thy God raise up unto you like unto me, him shall ye hear. Peter was testifying this, then was that prophet. He was the one that had gone before. He was the one that Abraham had seen. Our Lord had said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced at it. He was testifying of all of what the Old Testament scriptures had said belonged to Emmanuel, God with us, that this Jesus of Nazareth was he. He was the Christ. Peter, he says, Thou art the Christ, identifying who he was. Sometimes we might be asked this of men or women, maybe as someone in an assembly and someone comes up to us and says, who, who is that person over there? And we might give them a name. But then it might be that maybe they're a pastor of a certain cause, maybe they've written many books, maybe uh, the person that's asking us who they are has heard many, many things about that person. But when they are identified who they are, then all of those things they meet on that person. They're identified with that person. And it is in that sense that Peter is bringing all of what was written. We think of our Lord later when he rose from the dead and he met with the two in the way to Emmaus and began at Moses and all the prophets and in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, he opened up to them. Their heart burned within them. And they, they got to, to know before they knew who he was, they got to know a reminder really of everything in scripture concerning Christ concerning the one that should come. And so Peter here is identifying and saying, Thou, Jesus of Nazareth, viewed as a man by others, viewed as a prophet, one that is risen from the dead, I view thee, I believe that thou art the Christ. There was a second part to what Peter said. And that was the, that he testified that he was the son of the living God. The son of God. 
eternal with the Father, truly God and truly man, God manifest in the flesh. Now I believe Peter was very clear on this, not just a son by birth, not just a created son, but God manifest in the flesh. The same as it is uh, spoken of, is our Lord saying, if you have seen me, you have seen my Father also. I and the Father are one. The Son of God was sent by the Father and the blessed teaching of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And they are those that bear witness in heaven now. But the Father sent the Son and the Son came. In the volume of the book it is written of me, Behold, I come to do thy will, O God. There would be no real meaning in the idea of Emmanuel, God with us. And it wouldn't be so that the sacrifice could be a perfect, sinless sacrifice and a sacrifice that is from God himself. You think of Abraham's word to to Isaac when he asked, My father, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? He said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. He is the paschal lamb. He is the one figured in all of those sacrifices. He is that same one with the Father. When he appeared to, God appeared to Moses in the bush, then he said, I am that I am. That was his name. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And our Lord said that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, proving their resurrection, but proving also that he was set forth in Hebrews, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. <clears throat> the coming of the just one. Stephen speaks of him, the true eternal son of God. This was one of the important issues of the formation of the Gospel Standard Churches and with Mr. Philpott ably defending the eternal sonship of our Lord Jesus Christ, not created, not just uh, like us, but sinless, but truly God and truly man. If you have seen me, you have seen my Father also. And we read in John, this is the true God and eternal life in 1 John 5, at the end of that chapter. There are those especially like the Christadelphians or Jehovah's Witnesses that deny the eternal sonship of our Lord Jesus Christ. We view that as a heresy, as a vital error, 
and a denial of the Lord Jesus Christ as to who he is. The testimony of Peter here is very clear. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But also he adds this, that he is the Son of the living God. And of course the children of Israel over many years had worshipped idols. They'd gone and worshipped idols. There was the great test where Elijah had brought their Baal worship to test to see whether the God that answered by fire would answer by fire and testify and show that he was the true and living God. And those idol worshippers so blindly believing that their God could do things and yet wasn't a living God at all. And yet Elijah so proved that that God from heaven could send fire from heaven not just to consume the wood but also the sacrifice and the stones and even the water that was round about the uh, trench. And so we have the Lord Jesus Christ as the true sacrifice, the true and living God that was to offer it that was to endure the wrath of God upon himself for instead of his people and a God that lived and was to live again after he laid down his life and a mystery, great is the mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh and all the talks I've had with the Jehovah's Witnesses is because they will try to reason, to reason through these things uh, in, in a natural way. But if we compare the many scriptures, the different scriptures there are concerning the words of our Lord himself, it is a mystery as the inspired word of God declares it is. And who is that man that will say, I will not believe something unless I fully understand it, be able to explain it and won't accept a mystery even though God declares it is a mystery. It is that faith which believes it and which receives it though it may not be able to understand it. We, we have many, many things in our lives that are like that. Many people drive cars and they wouldn't have a clue how that car worked or the engine worked in it at all. Many people used computers, but they wouldn't have a clue how the computer worked or how it was brought about. And if you started to explain it, then they would say, well, that's impossible, that could never be, and yet it is. Often think of that with the internal combustion engine. If you where to describe how that worked, how a car works. And someone said, I've got this idea, and it's going to be this piston that's moving up and down in a cylinder, and it will turn a crank. And what we'll do, we'll bring it up to the top first, and we'll make this valve open, and as it goes down, it'll suck in some air, and then we'll close the valve, 
And then we'll bring it up to the top and compress that air and we'll shoot some fuel into it and we'll put a spark in it and explode it and as it explodes the piston will go down to the bottom and then it will turn and go back up and another valve will open and it will push out all of the gases and all of the things that are the unclean things and then that valve will close and the first valve will open again and then it will suck in some fresh air and fuel mixture and it's going to do that 5,000 times a minute or 12,000 times a minute so fast it's going to do it and you say you're mad they'll never do that you can never make a car drive and go like that but we use it all the time and it does work it has worked for, for years and to people to have explained to them some things we would say impossible but when it comes to the things of God it is by faith and it is by revelation and that is what is the uh, second or the third point I want to speak of but secondly the importance of a verbal uh, testimony <clears throat> but we we are going to speak in the third place of the vital need of revelation which is spoken of here not learned by books not understood as schoolboys learn their task but revealed but in the second place I want to look at the importance of a verbal testimony it is very clear in the context because when our Lord first asked the disciples, whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? It is very clear that people had been saying things. and just been thinking them and the disciples were mind readers. They had been saying things openly. The disciples had heard it and they were able to relay, relay to the Lord what they had heard. And so our Lord then is asking them, well now it's your turn. You say, and I will listen. Men have been saying, and you've been listening and telling me, and now do it the other way around. You say, and I will listen. And how vital that that is. When Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 10 and verse 10, it's a good way of remembering that, Romans 10 verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. We're not to be secret Christians. We're not to be those who do not give witness. It is those that actually speak and set forth what they believe and what they say is very, very important. If we go back into Matthew and back to chapter 10, and then we have in verse 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. 
But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And our Lord is really emphasising the vital necessity of confession, of speaking, of testifying of what we believe. When Philip was sent to the eunuch in the wilderness in Acts 8, the Lord already gave him his text because the eunuch was reading in Isaiah 53 and he began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Again, the suffering Saviour, the one that had been set forth in Isaiah 53, that had bore the sin of his people. This is what he was reading. He was led as a, la as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch, he answers Philip, he says, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? And it is upon this that Philip opens his mouth and he preaches Jesus to him from that scripture. Well, they came then to water, and Philip desires to be baptized. Sorry, the eunuch desired to be baptized. And Philip had a question for him too. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It is almost the identical answer that uh, Peter is giving to the Lord. Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does then the uh, eunuch say? The, sorry, the, the, the eunuch testifies, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So we have the same testimony. And upon that profession, he was baptised. It is a vital thing that we actually speak what we believe. When we think of some examples from the Old Testament, we think of when Saul, King Saul died, and we're told that he fell on his sword, he committed suicide, and yet David at Ziklag had an Amalekite come to him and say that he found him and Saul asked him to kill him and he killed him. And the Amalekite had his crown in his hand to, to testify that he at least had been with him, at least seen him. But I'm sure David, he, he didn't really believe the Amalekite. But he said to him, he, he, he thought, of course, the Amalekite thought he was going to get a reward from David. But David said to him, he said, Was thou not afraid to put forth thine hand and to kill the Lord's anointed? 
And he commanded his men that they kill him. And he said to him when he was dying, he said, Thy mouth has testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. And so though David didn't really believe that he'd done it, yet upon what his profession, he took him at his word, and he was slain for that. And it is a, a most solemn thing to utter words, whether it be vows, promises, whatever we utter with the mouth, they are very conscious things. You may be troubled many times. Some of you may be very troubled over thoughts and things that go on in your mind. Your prayer may often be, Lord, keep the lid on. Stop me from giving utterance to these things. Let me not speak these things. Let them not come out of my lips to let them go forth. The devil will say you're a real hypocrite. You should speak what you're thinking. Speak your mind. But those that know the plague and evil of their heart and know the worth of what it is to speak, then they be very careful that they pray the Lord would keep the door of their lips. They would not utter anything foolishly before the Lord. Of course, we think of dear Peter, that three times he denied his Lord and Master, but our Lord had prayed for him that his faith fell not. This same Peter that is given this profession, he denied him. It's Satan's temptations, and even before a maid. But the Lord graciously had prayed for him and afterwards he asked him those three times lovest thou me lovest thou me and he was able again uh, to to speak this and to testify of his love to the Lord but we should be very careful what we say but if we have a faith if we have a belief if we trust that we are the people of God then firstly, we should confess it before uh, the Church of God. We should make profession there and speak to them of our belief and be baptised. We should also be unashamed of the Lord before men. We read of those in Christ's day that did believe on him, but because of the fear of man, then they would not confess him. It was very told in John 10, with the man, that, or John 9, the man that had been born blind, that if any man was to confess that Jesus was the Christ, he'd be cast out of the temple. And so many, they would not do it. But it's set before he, us here is, is so vital that the Lord will draw out from us. And if we deny the Lord, then he also will deny us. The fear of man bringeth a snare. And many of God's children have laboured and cried to the Lord for grace, for help, for strength, to overcome the fear of man and to be able to speak. And under the blessing of the Lord, sometimes after one has laboured for many weeks, many months, and the fear of man has prevented them 
Yet the Lord has so blessed them and enabled them to speak. And they've known that the Lord has given them that help and given them that strength and made them not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so may we be helped in that. Whoever we're speaking to, whatever situation we're in, that we be not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're able to clearly testify who he is and who, what he is to us as well and where our hope is in him. On to then, Lord, lastly, and from whence the true answer comes. After Peter had made profession, then our Lord said to him that he was blessed in that. Jesus answered in verse 17 and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. To St. Peter, you have not just come at this from learning at the feet of man, but God has revealed it to you. You need these things revealed to you. And every one of God's children need those things to be revealed to them. And in the verse that follows, a verse so abused by those that believe that the Pope is the follower on from Peter, the Lord is not saying that Peter is the rock. His name means rock. But the Lord is speaking of himself, the one who Peter has confessed and the one who he has declared is the Christ. Upon this rock, upon Christ, the rock of ages, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee, uh, Peter, well, firstly our Lord, but then Peter or the church, those that have had this revelation, those that Christ has been revealed to them, it is the church of God that he has given them. Again, we, we deny the infallibility of the church or the uh, church of Rome, but there is one true church throughout all of the earth and the Lord gives that authority to the ministers, to the elders of the church of God. Each is an independent local church, one that is a representative of that true church of God. And as they are true custodians of the holy infallible word of God and judge according to that word, then they are those that in Christ's stead they govern the church as under Christ, he of alone. He that heareth you, or he that receiveth you, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth my Father that sent me. So Peter, of course, was, and the apostles, greatly used, appointed by God, to go forth with the power of the Holy Spirit, not without the Spirit, and preach the gospel to every creature. But the very fact that it is to be revealed puts Peter's testimony as to be on a much higher plane 
than just a literal ascent. We might think in our day, well, we've got the Bible. Many of us and children have been brought up under the sound of the truth and we can learn this. We know from the scriptures that the Lord Jesus is the Christ and we believe that. We could say that we believe that. But the Lord is saying a true belief is something more than just a naked assent of the word of God. It is a belief in their testimony as we've had it set before us this evening. It is, and there are some of those that would, as in a way of heresy, completely deny what we believe the word of God clearly sets forth concerning our Lord. But for saving faith, it must be revealed from heaven. And it is joined with obedience. It is joined with faith to not only call the Lord, Lord, but to do the things that he says and to be a true follower of him. And it is vital that we really view the miraculous work, the powerful work of God. You know, Paul says to the Ephesians that it is the same power that raised up Christ from the dead that made them a believer. And when our Lord in Matthew 11 and 27, he says that all things are delivered well, if we go back to verse 25, at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. And again he's speaking of this mystery and of a revelation of the Lord. There are many things that we can just say that we know and say that we understand, but when really put to it, then we may question do we really know it at all? When uh, the Apostle Paul was writing to the uh, Corinthians in his first epistle and chapter 12, he says, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. No wonder the apostles had to tarry at Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. When the Lord appeared to the woman at the well of Samaria, he did two things. One, he told her very clearly that he was the Christ, but the other thing, he wrought in her life so that he told her the things, all what she'd done, and she says to the Samaritans, Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? 
And the Lord used that to show her that he truly was the Christ. If we have such a revelation to us, it will profoundly affect our life. It will profoundly affect how we view the Lord, how we speak his name, how we go amongst his people, whether we make a profession of faith or not. It will profoundly affect all that we do. And we may say, be the difference between heaven and hell, between eternal life, eternal damnation, between being one of his people and not being one of his people. How vital that we have a revealed Christ and testify of him. There are those that will say, oh, I'm a Christian, but they'll never speak of him. They'll never make profession in the church of God. They won't in their workplace. They won't in their college. They're silent. And yet they deceive themselves saying, well, we do believe really. We believe in our homes. We believe in our hearts. That's not the profession of the scriptures at all. Our Lord says very clearly that there is to be a testimony a saying so that others know. Would our neighbours know? Would those we work with know that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Well, may the Lord grant us that same profession, the same answer that Simon Peter was able to answer our Lord. Thou art the Christ, the Son of of the living God. And what a question for us then. But whom say ye that I am? May the Lord bless the word. Amen.